There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Today's guest is Laura DeCook. Laura is the mental health lead at a major online travel company. Working closely with the company's inclusion and diversity team and its global benefits team, Laura DeCook has led many mental health programs, including hosting two World Mental Health Day global events, and in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, has organized webinars on managing stress at work and managing your mental wealth in challenging times. Laura became a certified mental health first aid instructor in August of 2019 and regularly teaches courses to companies throughout the United States. Laura is also a frequent speaker at global mental health conferences, speaking openly about her personal experience with burnout and anxiety. Settle in as we talk to our guest, Laura DeCook, about mental health, wellness, personal empowerment, and more. Laura, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm so excited to be here today. No, we're excited to have you here. Thanks so much for your time. So what fascinates me is that you've not been a mental health professional for your entire career. No. Nope. You really reinvented yourself in response to the events in your life. We'll get into that in a minute. But before we get to that story of your career, share some of your background with us. You know, where'd you grow up? What did you aspire to be? And where do you live today? Sure. So I'm from Chicago originally, but family moved to Northern California to the Bay Area um, in the late 70s. So I pretty much grew up, um, majority of my childhood was spent in a town called San Rafael, California. And I always wanted to be an actress when I grew up, one of those old childhood dreams of becoming an actress. But I decided after taking some acting classes that I was probably better on the other side of the camera. So I ended up going to film school at USC and I got my film degree, worked in the film industry for quite a while. I worked for a company called Artists and Entertainment. And I always say they put out the Blair Witch Project. So I always say the Blair Witch Project made me and broke me because I got hired when the Blair Witch Project came out and I got fired or laid off when the Blair Witch Project 2 came out. And so the company ended up becoming Lionsgate Entertainment. Artisan went away. But um, after working in the film industry, I worked for Lucasfilm for a year on what was supposed to be the last Star Wars film, Revenge of the Sith. But as we all know, that was not. Um, I decided that I was kind of done with film. So I got my master's in international relations in Sydney, Australia, at the University of Sydney. And um, I ended up um, right after that getting a job at a major technology company where I stayed for 10 years. I forgot your USC Trojan, so I have to give you yeah, the Yeah, that's uh, the right. Fight on. Fight on. There we go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So your career took you to a major tech company some years ago. Yeah. And that ultimately led you down the completely different professional path that you're on today. Yeah. You reached a crossroads in part because you were taking care of a family member while working full time. Yeah. What mental health support did the company provide for its employees in your situation? 
and what effect did those services or lack of services have on your personal life and work performance during that time? Sure. So I always say seven of the 10 years I was at this company were great. I was able to um, travel the world and I actually lived in Singapore for two years and started, I worked in online advertising for this company and I was able to start the team down in Southeast Asia and just was really living the life, just, you know, making great money, traveling, great contact. And then a family member was ill. Um, And by ill, I say was dealing with addiction. And I'm very honest and open about um, the struggles that this person had with addiction. And it put so much stress on me and my family. And um, I tried to be open and honest with my manager at the time and say, tell him what I was going through. And the first thing they told me is, you know, this isn't really something we should be talking about at work. This is something that you should talk to a therapist about. And it really took me aback. And I thought, wow, you know, I thought I had this good relationship with this manager, but I was really open and honest with HR and just said, I need to push back on some of my work. My work was, this was a type of job that we were basically on call 24 seven. It's like we were doctors. We were, you know, I was taking my laptop to to concerts and putting it on the bar table and knowing that, you know, if I had a campaign uh, launching that I needed to be available, but I knew I was burning out. I could feel the early signs and symptoms of burnout. And I talked to HR and I said, this is what's going on at home. I'm dealing with major anxiety. I'm dealing with a lot of stress. And I remember her telling me, we don't, really talk about mental health at work. Same sort of thing my manager had said, and I felt completely lost. I did not know where to go or where to get help. And that eventually led to almost 10 years to the day me leaving this this company because I just was not feeling the support or getting the support that I felt I needed. So a manager, I could maybe understand, you know, we don't really talk about mental health, but an HR person, I mean, that's human resource. That's their title. Yep. That's what I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Why do you think there was pushback when you asked to to discuss your mental health situation? I think this was obviously pre-pandemic. There was so much stigma surrounding mental health. Nobody was talking about it. It was only, so I actually ended up, before I left the company, I went on a mental health break, a mental health leave. I didn't even know there was such thing as a mental health leave. I'd found out about it through like a contacts contact and um, had to look internally online to find out what the company offered for mental health leaves. And um, I, when I went on this mental health leave, I started being open and honest with people about why I was gone. People said, why, why aren't you at work? I haven't seen you at your desk. And I said, you know, I, I, I felt like I was going to have a mental breakdown and they were, you know, open and honest with me. And I said, gosh, nobody's really talking about this. And I actually tried to come back after a three month mental health leave. And immediately I was put on a performance plan. I was not welcomed back. I was not um, eased back. And I wasn't giving it given any type of work accommodations. And instead, I ended up, um, I was in a meeting with my manager, 
with HR. Um, I remember HR was on video conference and they started telling me about, you know, we're putting you on this performance plan and I can feel myself starting to shake. And then all of a sudden I could feel the tears coming. And I've, I remember my father always telling me, don't ever cry at work. Don't cry at your desk. If you have to cry, go into the bathroom. And I just started to cry. And they just looked at me and handed me a box of Kleenex and I could just feel myself getting upset. So I put my laptop down, stood up. And I remember I said two words. I said, I'm done. And I walked out. I drove myself straight to the doctor where I was diagnosed with um, high blood pressure. I'm a very small person. And I was diagnosed with extremely high blood pressure. She said to the point that this is like an obese man's blood pressure and uh, anxiety. And I was put on medication uh, right then and there for both. But I did go on another three-month mental health leave and then um, just gave, did a lot of soul searching during that time and decided that this company was not going to support me. So I did quit. I think it was like 10 and a half years to the day that I started. And the funniest thing was, I mean, quote unquote, funny, it was a coworker messaged me and said, Laura, your 10-year certificate for being 10 years at the company is on your desk in a nice frame. And I said, throw it in the garbage. I was just done. You know, you and I spoke last week about it. And my listeners know I've been saying the, the one positive thing about COVID is it's really put a big spotlight on mental health, yeah. but in a positive way. And, yeah. and by that, I mean, you know, you use the word stigma, which we use and really starting to break that down. Uh, right before the show today, I was doing some reading online and saw that the White House put a press release out on, on President Biden's State of the Union address, yeah. and he's going to come out with a national mental health policy. That's amazing. I didn't so see that. It just came out. I saw this about, about two hours ago. I saw it. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, fast forward just a couple of years. Yep. You know, where it's taboo to say the word mental health, and now it's going to be national policy. And so, yeah. wow. you know, unfortunately, it took a global pandemic for that to happen. Yep. But the good news is it looks like something's going to happen. And so yeah. hopefully that will break down you know, the barriers for stigma and all that, because it's okay to not be okay. That's a campaign yeah. you've seen out there and heard yep. a lot. And so just it's okay to talk to somebody. Yeah. I always say it's the one silver lining from the pandemic is that people are op- more open about their mental health struggles and, you know, mental health parity laws are coming out and it's just, it's, it is, you know, one, one silver lining. Yeah, totally agree. And just sticking with your previous employer for a moment, mm-hmm. is there data on the reasons that some employers are so reluctant to recognize and address employees' needs for mental health services? Yeah. And if so, what does that tell us? Yeah. So I was reading actually this morning in the Harvard Business Review that um, research is showing that um, employees want their employers to be speaking about mental health. Um, there's two, 200 million workdays were lost due to mental health, are lost due to mental health conditions each year. That's $16.8 billion billion in employee productivity. So, but mental health is still, you know, a taboo subject for many um, employers. And um, I was also reading that 60% of employees still do not talk about their mental health at work because of the fear of basically what happened to me, you know, it was, you know, they're going to see me as weak, or they're going to see me as, you know, not productive, or they're going to see me as, um, you know, a slacker, quote, unquote, because I, I can't do the same type of, um, or have the same type of work schedule that, um, that most people can have. And I think that, you know, things are changing, 
And like, you know, I've seen firsthand, which we'll get into, you know, what, what my company, my current company is doing, but that's, that's still not the norm, especially, I mean, in the U S things are, are moving, I think at a slower pace than places like the UK, I think the UK is doing a really great job. I actually learned about the mental health ambassador program that we'll talk about in a little bit through a UK, um, a, a friend in the UK, but other countries, it's still lagging. It's still so taboo to talk about mental health. And would you have left your previous job if they'd offered mental health services? Nope. 110% no. I was so happy with the job. I was happy with my colleagues. Wasn't quite happy with my managers, to be honest, but I was really happy working at this company and the, all of the um, the great you know benefits and perks that I was given and so much of the world that I was able to see I would not have left and you know it's it's bittersweet and at the same time I say you know it's it's kind of I'm it's serendipitous I wouldn't be sitting here with you today had it not happened it's created so many amazing opportunities for me my struggles have created these these great opportunities but I would not have left. And as you think about that chapter of your life, is there a lesson there for employers? I think the lesson is to view your employees as holistic human beings. We're not machines. We're people with lives outside of the office. Um, We're people who go through, you know, tragedies, trauma, you know, issues, you know, um, just to really look at your employees as people, and not just workers and know that they're they're going to go through difficult times and be there to support them and it doesn't it doesn't mean that they're not good workers it doesn't mean that they're not productive workers they can if i had gotten the support that i needed i would have continued to perform at a high rate and you know i always say it's their loss <laughs> in my game Yes, exactly, Chris. (laughs) And on the other side of that, are there lessons for employees? You know, should they speak up whenever they have an issue or pick and choose their battles? It's so tricky because it really depends on your manager. And I was so lucky when I started this new company because I wanted to be open and honest with my manager immediately. And I said, this is the reason why I left my previous job. I said, um, burnout, you know, anxiety, just not getting the support. And she said, oh my gosh, like me too. I, I've I've been on medication for anxiety for years. And it was just like, wow. So I felt like maybe starting out the conversation when you first like maybe get to know a manager and just say, you know, FYI, you know, I do deal with some, you know, anxiety issues, but it's not going to get in the way of my work. You know, I'll let you know. But, it, you know, it is still such a tricky question because I think there is still there there could be backlash. And I feel like, you know, I want to put like my, you know, rose colored glasses on and tell everyone to be like open and honest. But I think it's like, if you're not in the right situation and you don't feel like you are going to be supported by your manager, find something else, find something else. And another great piece of advice my parents always gave me, don't look for, look for a new job while you're in your previous job, because when I left this job that I was at for 10 years, I didn't have another job. And for an anxious person to be out of work and dealing with mental health issues, that was not, 
the most ideal situation. The show is called Next Step Forward. And so let's take steps forward in your career. Sure. You became a certified mental health first aid instructor in August mm-hmm. of 2019, and you teach courses to companies throughout the country. First, describe what mental health first aid is, and then tell us what a mental health first aid instructor does and how you help others. Yeah, sure. So mental health first aid is actually a program that started in Australia in the early uh, 2000s, and it's spread to, I think, 25 countries around the world. So it's a certification program that teaches people how, how to recognize the signs and symptoms of someone who might be going through a mental health or substance use crisis. So we always say you're, we're not teaching people how to be therapists. We're not teaching, we're not diagnosing. Um, we're following this five-step method that is teaching people how to recognize. So someone perhaps that, you know, you know, is um, all of a sudden kind of like not, not acting like themselves or shutting down or um, saying things like, I'm, you know, I can't do anything right. Like there's, you know, I'm no good. Like recognizing these verbal cues, these nonverbal cues, and just being that person to get them to appropriate professional support or self-help resources. So yeah, I became an instructor during the pandemic online. I had actually brought the program as a pilot program to my company with support from the inclusion and diversity program, or sorry, inclusion and diversity team. And we started in our headquarters up in Washington and then London, in uh, Gurgaon, India, Brisbane, Australia, Austin, Texas, and Montreal, Canada. And um, I loved taking the class so much that that I decided to become an instructor. So it was a week-long certification program. And the coolest thing about that is I connected with another woman who was um, taking the instructor training, who was a licensed therapist and counselor. So she and I partner now together to teach the class. And uh, last night, we just taught our 10th class together. Things happen for a reason. Yep, exactly. I know you've compiled a short list of what a mental health first aid instructor does and does not do that really clarifies the role. Mm. What's on the does list and what does the doesn't list look like? Yeah, so um, we'll start with the doesn't list. As mentioned before, we're not here to give um, advice. We're not here to give, you know, therapy or counseling type of um, support. We're there to connect the person to the appropriate support. So um, we follow this five-step method called ALGE. So ALGE um, is A, assess for risk of suicide or self-harm. L, listen non-judgmentally. G, give reassurance and information. And information is different from giving advice. Um, We always say it's hope with facts. And E, the first E, E1, encourage appropriate professional support. E2, encourage appropriate self-help. So it's um, throughout the world, um, despite where you're taking this training, it is the same five-step method. I think in France, they call it like something a little bit different that translates into the French version, but it is the same type of a method. It's non-linear. You don't have to follow it in order. You can, I always say 99% of the time listening non-judgmentally is all it takes to give a person the type of help that they need. Um, just being there, being an active listener. Um, and just, you know, I tell um, my group that I support that, um, you know, if you're nervous about reaching out, just say, you know, to someone, hey, what's going on? And just be there as a listening ear. And a lot of times people just come out feeling so much better, even if you didn't say anything but 
wow, that must be so hard. They come out feeling lighter. We all know the people who volunteer often get as much out of their experience as the people they're helping. Yeah. Have you had the same experience as a mental health first aid instructor? And if so, what have you gained as you've helped others? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question because I always tell each of my classes that I feel like I get as much out of the classes as they get from us as instructors because we always say Vegas rules in our class. Whatever is mentioned in this class completely stays in this class. There's no judgment. There's no, um, um, we just want everyone to feel like this is, you know, in a way it's like group therapy without giving therapy. But um, I learned so much from every single person because they will share their lived experiences with, um, with, with um, anxiety or with um, someone the other day was telling us about their sister who uh, lives with schizophrenia. And um, you'll also notice that I say lives with schizophrenia instead of schizophrenic, because it, we don't like to define the person as a schizophrenic. It's someone that is living with a condition. And um, and I said, wow, gosh, I didn't know that. And somebody yesterday actually said, um, I heard bipolar it is more uh, the symptoms come out most in the winter and the spring. I said, wow, I didn't know that. So, you know, I, I'll Google it and, you know, find out the information. One great example is I, I, I usually teach in the U.S., but I did teach a group um, in Asia uh, recently, and it was people from all over Asia, from China to Japan to, um, to India, and um, learning that there wasn't actually a word in Hindi for suicide. It just didn't translate. Like, I feel like I'm learning so much from each and every person. And even, you know, if they're in the U.S., like last night, someone was um, uh, El Salvadorian American. And it's like, you know, the, a lot of um, times in the Latin cultures, especially with men, it's a weakness to talk about mental health. And just hearing his firsthand experience, I just go, wow, like, you know, I'm just filled with knowledge and hope in each class that, you know, so many walks of life, everybody, socioeconomic status, it does not matter. People want to talk about mental health and they want to help others. And that's another, you know, great silver lining is just that people are, our, our classes have been quite full since the beginning of the pandemic because people really want to be able to help others who are going through difficult times. You know, you just quickly, you talked about the uh, the socioeconomic, it affects everybody. Everyone. Uh, again, just going back to the, the silver lining of, of COVID and the pandemic is you're seeing more and more actors and actresses, uh, yes. athletes, especially on the athlete side. You know, we saw yeah. the, the women's tennis, we're seeing basketball players, we're seeing uh, premier soccer players. And yeah. so having them out there and being ambassadors, for lack of a better word, you know, you, you talked about the Latin culture for men, how it's, you know, taboo and a sign of weakness. You've got Michael Phelps, you know, multi, multi gold medal winner in the Olympics, most ever talking about committing suicide. Yep. It, it affects everybody. It doesn't it matter does. race, creed, color, the size of your wallet, anything. Yep, exactly. And I think that's such a great thing. Um, you know, just I know, you know, people, everyone from like Lady Gaga to Prince Harry to, you know, with Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka recently, mm -hmm. I think, wow, it's just so amazing to see two years ago, it was, you would never have heard this. No. And it's just so nice. I remember Lady Gaga saying she was the type of person that 
she was just wired that she would need to be on medication the rest of her life. And I remember thinking, gosh, if it's good enough for Gaga, it's good enough for me. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm I'm not shy about saying, like, I need a I do a small dose, but I need anxiety medication to get through the day. I've tried to get off of it and I just I'm not able to function as well. So not long after you left that job, the world was appended by the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. What does the great resignation say about workers who have reached the point where mental health has pushed a number of people to leave their current jobs? Yeah. So what was it? I was just reading 33 million Americans have quit their jobs in spring of 2021. That is nuts. Um, I think people are really prioritizing A, their lives outside of work and B, their mental health. I think a lot of us, as we saw so much um, misery and, you know, um, people losing their lives and losing their loved ones, that people have put a priority on their work-life balance and they put a priority on living, just living a good, happy life and realizing that things can change in the blink of an eye. You know, um, and I think that, you know, this great resignation has been a huge wake up call for employers because people are leaving companies left and right. And they're knowing also like with, you know, remote work now, like, wow, I can live a really good life not having to commute two hours. My Mm -hmm. commute when I was going into the office was walking to a train, train to a bus bus to a ferry, ferry walking down Market Street in San Francisco to my office. I was losing two hours each way in productivity. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of companies that are doing remote, prioritizing remote work, um, I think, you know, a lot of employers are paying better now. So, um, you know, people really are seeing that, you know, that they can have better qualities of life now. Another silver lining, you know, there are quite a few silver linings that have occurred because of this horrible pandemic. And I'm right there with you with the four hours a day round trip commuting. And, you know, now I jog up my bunny slippers on and go down to my basement and log in and there's my commute, grab a cup of coffee on the way. Exactly. Right. In your pajamas. I won't tell you that I'm wearing sweats and slippers (laughs) underneath this nice shirt. So to oh, that I point, just <laughs> you can't see my bunny slippers. It's okay. We're good. So to that point though, how are office environments and work from home environments different in terms of stressors and mental health? Yeah. I mean, I think it all depends. I'm quite lucky because I live solo with my cat. So I get my productivity is amazing working from home. I think it's different, you know, with people who have children or maybe spouses at home, you know, kind of trying to, to fit that, that in. Um, uh, so sometimes the office is good. Like a hybrid work, I think is great offering the opportunity for employees to be able to go back into the office if they have important meetings or need to connect face to face. So I'm not against it at all. And that's what my firm has done. Uh, They're reducing our uh, real estate footprint by almost 50%. Yeah. And, wow. you know, you, you pick and choose. It's, it's hoteling. So you, you book your day, you want to come in. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, see how that works. But to your point, yeah. the work-life balance is, is definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going up at four o'clock in the morning every day for 20 years. Oh my goodness. And, you know, now my, I get up at five 30, like, oh my God, that's life-changing for me. Yes, I can imagine. And so what would private sector mental health programs encompass in an ideal world? Pie in the sky idea. Sorry, can you reword that? What would private sector mental health programs encompass in a perfect world? Oh, gosh. 
I feel like that might be a longer answer than we wanted to before the break. But I think um, if you if you don't have anything, start somewhere. Start somewhere. I think the mental health first aid program is a great program to implement. First and foremost, have an ambassador team at your work that's trained in mental health first aid. And, um, and, you know, just having workshops or, you know, um, mental health talks that people can, can join. That's where I started just by having mental health talks. We've been talking with Lorda Cook and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back with Certified Mental Health First Aid Instructor, Laura DeCook. We've been talking about mental health first aid and the impact of mental health and wellness in the workplace. Laura, let's take a step back to quantify the issue. Would you put into context the percentage of Americans in the workforce who have mental health issues and addictions versus the percentage of managers who are trained and equipped to recognize and address those sorts of problems? Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Um, What was it? I think the stat before was like one in five people were dealing with a mental health challenge, but after the pandemic, it's one in three. So that's a huge amount. Um, I think managers, I mean, the majority of managers are not equipped. Um, At my current company, we are starting to do some uh, trainings for people leaders. We call them people leaders um, on mental health issues and are recognizing if their team um, is dealing with mental health issues. But managers still 
I think are having a hard time knowing what they can say, what they can't say. Because I actually met with um, a legal team at my company a couple of weeks ago, and they didn't even know if we could be asking employees if they were thinking of suicide. And like, is that, is that, you know, can we ask that? Because, you know, is that, is that, you know, not the, is, is that not kosher to ask in the workplace? And we had to do a lot of research and I had to speak to a lot of um, um, other mental health instructors and ask them like, you know, is it okay? Like, could we get in trouble, quote unquote, for asking someone if they were thinking of taking their life. But um, a lot of states like look up in your state, but there are good Samaritan laws that protect people who from if they're asking, you know, um, um, their colleagues, if if they're thinking of suicide. And I think um, just managers really don't know what they can say or do. And a lot of managers have global teams. So a lot of um, you know, different cultures and different, um, you know, backgrounds that they don't know, like, is it okay to ask my um, Japanese, you know, a colleague if they're thinking about it, you know, are they going to tell me the truth? So I think it's really important. There's a lot of organizations, I actually work with an amazing organization out of the UK called Champs Consulting, and they are so well equipped to um, support uh, by giving managers trainings um, on how to deal with employees, no matter where they are located in the world from APAC to, you know, Middle East and what, um, you know, what you can do, what you can and can't say. They know the laws of all the different countries. And I think it's just so important to get managers equipped. I always say I wish every people leader would take mental health first aid because, you know, you do learn the signs and symptoms. If your teammate, we teach them about absenteeism, but also presenteeism. And and I didn't even know what the word presenteeism meant until I took this training. And for those of you who don't know what it means, it's if somebody is like showing up to a meeting and they're usually really vocal and, you know, contributing and all of a sudden you see them shut down, they're not contributing. I always like to say like, they're there, but they're not really there. They're not all there. And it's like, wow, you know, my colleague, you know, um, you know, Susan, you know, is usually so active and, you know, participating And the last couple of weeks, she's been so quiet. Like, maybe I should check in with her. And before it's like, oh, you know, it would be pre-pandemic. Oh, that's none of my business. Let's let her deal with it. But with the rates of like suicide increasing and the rates of, you know, these mental health issues, it's so important for managers to check in with their teams. And I always say to managers, don't start your check-in saying, what are you working on? What are you doing? Ask your teams, how are you doing? Like, how are you? you know, what's going on in your life, start by like making this like person to person connection. You ask the manager in return. The manager is a holistic human being who has a life and issues and, you know, things going on and, um, you know, ask them how they're doing too. And then make it like a a human connection, especially in this virtual world. It's so important because, you know, you're not there to see the person and to kind of say, oh, you know, so-and-so is not showing up to lunch. You know, that's weird, but you know, it's, 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 I feel like people are starting, managers are starting this in a lot of companies and realizing that this is the way they're going to keep employees. Like employee retention 
it's so important that employees feel supported by their manager. And I always say, you're only going to be as, you know, successful at a company as your manager thinks you are, because they're the person that's going to promote you. They're the person who's going to support you. And if you don't feel supported, maybe it's time to move on. And just going back to the stat you gave at the beginning of your response, you know, from one in five Americans pre-pandemic to having, you know, quote, some mental health uh, issue or condition to one in three. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what that number looks like a year or so now from now, just because those are the people who actually admitted right. that there's something not quite right, as That's opposed so to, you know, with, with the stigma hanging around, you know, pre-pandemic and, and now, you know, was that number one in three before the pandemic hit? And now yep. does it go to, to one and two. And so you just see more and more studies coming out, I, I think, really showing that, that that's yeah. the trend we're going in. Yep. And to the point earlier, I guess we are there just given the fact that you know, President Biden's coming out with a national policy. So Amazing. more to come. But the good news is we're having these conversations. They're not, oh, that's my cousin Jimmy and he's the cousin we don't talk about type exactly, of thing. Exactly, right? It, it's, hey, how are you doing today? You know, you're you're here physically, but I don't see you really engaging the way you used to. Exactly. So I, I love that you raised that. Thank you. And what's the best way to start a conversation about mental health? Start it. Just start it. It's going to feel kind of uncomfortable at first. I remember the first time after I was trained as a mental health first aider, this is before I became an instructor, someone reached out to me and said, hey, you know, Laura, can, can I have a chat? And I was so nervous. I had to pump myself up. And then I got on this video chat with him and he immediately started crying. And I just said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And back to my point earlier, just by listening and just by like nodding, this was on Zoom and just by, you know, just saying like, gosh, that must be so hard. I came out of this call feeling like I can do this. Like I've got this. Like it's so easy to help someone who is dealing with a mental health issue just by being a listening ear. You don't have to have the right answers and you're not going to do or say the wrong thing. And I always say, you know, it's really important to ask the person if they're thinking about taking their life. And people always say to me, but what if I'm putting that idea in their head? What if they like, I don't want to make them go do something. I said that idea, if it was in their head, you know, you're not putting that idea in their head. It was already there or it wasn't there at all. But, you know, people have never said, like, I wish I didn't ask or, oh, my gosh, they said, oh, I haven't thought about that. I'm going to go do that. That doesn't happen. But you could be saving a life just by asking. And if the person said, oh, yeah, actually, I am. I feel like my life isn't worth anything. That's when you go get them some support and you say, hey, let's call the crisis line together or let's go. I will go help you find a therapist. Back when I was looking for support, I remember I went online internally at my company and the um the link for our employee assistance provider, our EAP was broken. And I said, gosh, like, I'm like, I've got my, you know, wherewithal right now to actually, you know, do some research, but someone who's going through a crisis might not. So we need to make these like, these, um, these programs easy, easy and accessible for folks who might be 
going through a really difficult time. And I say, just, you know, just start the conversation. Always check in with your family and friends, um, you know, on a regular basis. Check in with your colleagues. You know, um, I remember doing these, um, what were those like color assessments? Like, are you yellow? Are you green? Are you blue? Those kind of things. And I was always sunshine yellow because I always started conversations by asking people um, like on, on, you know, chat or whatever, how are you before I say, oh, I actually need you to um, get this report for me. But so many people just start with like, you know, Laura, I need this report now. And I'm like, whoa, you know, ask people how they are and, you know, and be prepared to, you know, to support them if they say I'm not doing great right now. You know, oh, do you want to talk like I'm here to talk? So, you know, it's just back to what I was saying before, just people, so many people just need someone to be a listening ear and they don't need you to solve their problems. They don't need you to, you know, maybe they don't need the appropriate professional help, you know, but they just want to talk it out with someone. Going back for a minute to the work-life balance and the new world order, whatever that is, smartphones, email, and tablets have made it hard for employees to get away from work. Why is it so important to turn off phone and email and disconnect from work on a regular schedule? It's so important. And I'm still somewhat guilty of doing this. I still have my phone on my bedside table, but I have it set. I learned this about a year ago to set it. So mom, dad, brother are the only people that can interrupt me in the middle of the night because then I know it's an emergency, but I will, I, I won't check my phone. Um, at my previous company, I was checking my phone. I get up to use the bathroom. I would check my phone two in the morning, but we actually just had at my current company, we had, um, uh, a person from a company in the Amsterdam in Amsterdam called the culture of sleep talk. And he said, our sleep is so affected by our devices and our mental health is so affected by our sleep. So it's so important to, it, to turn off your devices, to limit your news intake, because, you know, with everything going on in the world now, you know, my, my family's half Ukrainian and I've just been obsessed with the news lately and I'm not sleeping well because these thoughts are ruminating. And I've decided today I woke up and saw something really disturbing. And I said, I'm limiting my news intake. I want to be aware, but I don't want to overload myself. So um, I think that what do they call doom scrolling, you know, with, with everything going on in the world, you know, it really affects our mental health. Know when you need to take a break, even if that means turning on some horrible Netflix show. I'm watching this for ridiculous show called love is blind right now but it's such escapism because i i said this is just a dumb show that i don't have to think about pandemics or wars or anything get going out the weather in northern california has been beautiful lately just making sure i get out and listen to the birds chirping and you know look at the beautiful blue sky and just take a break from my devices because especially working from home you know even though our work-life balance could be a little bit better our community are limited, um, we can be so obsessed with being online constantly. And that's just not good for our mental health. No, and, and guilty as charged. I mean, I've, I can't count the number of times there's, there's more than two handfuls that I've fallen asleep at my desk and woken up at two o'clock in the morning at my desk. No, that's uh, no good. So we are trying to, to limit that. And yeah. to your point about your devices, uh, 
you know, smartphones are coming out with different things in terms of setting it to sleep mode. Yeah. Where so I I recently discovered that on my phone, and so you set the time of when you want it to to wind down, and the time when you wake up, and it gives you a fifteen minute warning. Say, hey, it's about time for you to wind down. And there's a special sort of a, a lock that it puts on during that window of sleep where you have to put it in twice to make sure you really want to open up your phone. Oh, so that's great. Just little things like that. I think yeah. people are learning and companies are learning. And so hopefully technology, knowing how obsessed we are with it, uh, will help us in that other chapter in terms of more sleep and more mental health benefits. Yeah. And, you know, when we think, I think so many of us think like, oh, you know, the world's going to stop if I don't answer this email. And I remember when I was first working in the film industry, my boss called me into his office and he said, Laura, why do you always act like the carpet's on fire? Every time you come into my office, you can't get out of here fast enough. And I said, well, you're a very important person and, you know, blah, 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 and the movies. And what if I don't get this to you on time? And he looked at me and said, sit down. He goes, Laura, we're not putting hearts in babies. We're making movies. And that's, I think, something that I've lived with for the last 20 years. It's like, if I don't answer this email right now, nobody's going to die. I'm not a doctor. I don't need to be on call. You know, it's not that important. A recent study says more than 75% of workers in the United States cite concerns about stress and burnout as big challenges to their well-being at work. Yeah. That's up from 55% reported at the beginning of 2021, so just a year ago. Jeez. What's the main cause for that rise in burnout? I think it's just the, like not being able to step away from work. I think, um, you know, back to what I was saying before, just like, just thinking that like, I mean, I being an anxious person, I think a lot of people that go through burnout are also anxious and they think that, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired or, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get promoted or I'm going to get in quote unquote trouble if I don't, you know, get this to my boss, you know, even if it means that I'm working, you know, 12 hour days or, you know, getting on um, online in bed at night and finishing something. I think um, it's really important to recognize the signs of burnout. And I think my major um, sign was every time I received an email, I could feel um, my heart like palpitating, like, oh God, what now kind of thing. Or every time I got a message, oh God, oh God, what do I have to do now? And it's just like not knowing how to detach. And I think it's people really need to make a conscious effort to detach, but managers need to tell their employees it is okay to detach. And I love um, someone had at the bottom of their email the other day, I saw it said, my work hours may be different from your work hours. So please do not feel like you need to respond, you know, immediately, like respond at your convenience. Yeah. If something is urgent, put it in the subject line, urgent, like needs to be addressed, like time sensitive, et cetera. But I think it really comes from leadership and leadership needs to tell employees it's okay to take vacations. It's okay to take mental health days. It's okay to, you know, go to your kid's recital. It's okay to like take a break during the day. And, you know, our offices and our home lives became so blurred during the pandemic that, you know, people were burning out in the office and then they were burning out at home too. So, you know, A, making a conscious effort in yourself like that I'm not going to make my work my life and B, managers needing to, to, to also practice what they preach, but to preach 
to preach this to their employees. Don't worry about this right now. If they send an email at like nine o'clock at night, don't, don't worry about this. Like get to get back, get back to me, you know, tomorrow, no rush. Sometimes I say, if I send an email late, no rush, but this was just in my head. Like, let, you know, let me know sometime tomorrow. And to your point about leadership, one thing I've been promoting uh, throughout this is, is my firm. Uh, our CEO's name is Doug. And about every roughly two months, he'll give what's called a Doug day. And it usually is tied in with a long weekend, like 4th of July or Memorial Day, where the, the day is off. You know, you're off unless it's like business essential work that you have to do. I love that. And then also they've created meeting free Fridays. So there's no internal meetings on certain, like nice. on Friday a month. So in terms of about, you know, being the leader, being out there, you know, the firm's S&P Global, we're hiring, go and take a look. Yeah. Um, but they have done everything right throughout the pandemic. And so I just, you know, can't say enough about the leadership from the top down. And so um, I think it's a great model for other corporations to take a look at because it's worked. Yeah, it's that's, absolutely absolute, worked. that's absolutely amazing. And to your point about vacation earlier, on average, employees in the US take off 14 days per year, while workers in European countries like Spain, <laughs> France, Germany, UK, take off 24 days per year. That's yep. twice as much. Yep. How's the mental health of European workers compared to Americans and does that gap in vacation time really make that much of a difference? I always said I wish I was born a Spaniard because they get their siestas and they get their long vacations. But I think, you know, I've traveled all over the world and, you know, lived all over the world and the stress levels in the countries that offer more vacation days, it's evident and the happiness of the people. I spent a long time living in Australia. Australia, they give them a year off for maternity leave. I think everywhere else, but the US, you get a year off for maternity leave and they value their vacations. I think after four years in Australia with a certain company, you can take a sabbatical and the employees stay with the companies and they're happier. And I think at my previous company, I felt like it was seen as a weakness to ask for vacation or people would be like, oh, must be nice to go on vacations. And travel is my biggest passion. I love traveling more than anything in the world. I've been traveling um, abroad since I was 12 when my dad took me to see some family in Belgium. And my mom and I travel the world together. We take multiple trips per year together as a little mom and daughter duo. And that's my happiness. That's my, that's you know, my, I always say I have a bag that says that travel is my therapy. And um, I come back more productive. I come back happier. I come back rested. But I just remember at this other company, it was like, oh my God, when I'm gone, are people going to see me as replaceable? Are they going to say like, oh, wow, we don't need Laura. Like I'm going to come back to, you know, from vacation and they're going to say, sorry, no more job for you. But I remember also the last day of a trip, we I was in Iceland with a friend and I was standing in line to get on the plane. I said, oh, I'm in a line. I might as well check my email. I had about 150 emails and the anxiety. It was like my trip ended right there. And I could have had a nice, relaxing plane ride home. But instead, I was anxious about every single thing I had to do when I got back. And, you know, that was a huge lesson to me that your vacation time is earned and it's valuable and you need to enjoy every minute of it. So we've been focusing on large companies that you and I have worked for. But most of America's employers are small companies. Yeah. The majority of companies have four employees or less. 
What advice do you have for the owners of those companies as they grapple with keeping the lights on and still taking care of their employees' mental health needs? Gosh, you know, that's such a great question because, you know, my experiences with large corporations since I started working, um, you know, 20 something years old. But I think, you know, it's, you know, making sure that employees do get days off. I know it's hard for certain companies to do like two days in a row for 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 smaller places. My brother's um training to be a vet tech, and he's in a vet office, and he gets I think like Sunday and like Wednesday off, and it's you know it's it's hard, but he has a great boss who cares about his employees and make sure they feel rewarded and they make sure sure they feel supported, even if it's bringing lunch in or bringing um, Amazon gift cards one day he did for everybody or inviting them for like a kayaking in Sausalito uh, for the afternoon. And just like, you know, the office is closing. So I think it's just so important for these smaller companies to also like treat their employees like, you know, you don't want them to burn out. You want them to stay with you. You want them to feel like they're at a great company with a manager that supports them. So there's so many like small things that managers can do in these smaller companies that mean so much, even if it isn't going to be like two days off of rest. So we have just a few minutes left. I know at the top of the podcast, you're a frequent speaker at mental health conferences. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like you to speak to their company or organization? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, so my company is called LDC Wellbeing. So my name is Laura DeCook, and a lot of people call me LDC. It's a nickname someone gave to me ages ago. So LDCWellbeing.com. And please reach out to me that way. Um, we not only teach mental health first aid, but we teach um, workshops on emotional intelligence, uh, positive um, intelligence. Um, psychological safety. And um, yeah, I would just love everyone to, to reach out to me, even if you have questions or need some advice about starting a mental health program at your company. When I started the mental health program at mine, there was nothing available. So I can give great advice and information on how to start from nothing to making something really sustainable that a company, you know, will attract new new employees just by saying, hey, look what we have to offer. Laura DeCook, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. It was so much fun being here. Thank you for inviting me, Chris. No, it was our pleasure. Thank you. And as always, thank you to our wonderful audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.